Hello, I'm Simon. And I'm Dan. And this is the Wikicast, a podcast where Wikipedia takes us to a random article and we talk about what we find. Daniel, what are we talking about this week? This week, Simon, we're talking about wedding. And this is not a random article. I realise that in no. the intro we say this is a random article. This is one that we have picked because, well, I, I got married. This is this is the, the Wikicast where I guess we're going to talk a bit about um, everything that's been happening over the past two months. And, you know, there, there hasn't been an episode because I got married and moved house. Um, so, you know, that, that's that's what we're going to be talking about. But, but Dan, first of all, what is... Hang on, well, did we get marriage or wedding? <laughs> We got wedding, so we're wanting to ask, what is wedding? What is wedding? A wedding, Simon, is a ceremony where two people are united in marriage. Wedding traditions and customs vary greatly between cultures, ethnic groups, religions, countries and social classes. Most wedding ceremonies involve an exchange of marriage vows by a couple, presentation of a gift, offering rings, symbolic item, flowers, money, dress, and a public proclamation of marriage by an authority figure or celebrant. Ah, okay, that's good, because I, I realise I'm on the wrong page then. I've got a wedding is a fabrication process that joins materials, usually metals or thermoplastics, by using high heat to melt the parts together. Well, I mean, I did think that your ceremony was sort of going for a slightly different edge, but I enjoyed it. When Pixel Girl came down the aisle wearing a mask, uh, you know, yeah. with a blowtorch, I did think that it was an odd choice, but... Yeah. <laughs> Complimentary wedding welding goggles given out to all... Uh, it's lovely. <laughs> yeah, please put these on at the appropriate... It's like when you watch Spy Kids 3D. When a, when a character yeah. puts on their goggles, you better put yours on. We didn't sort of throw confetti at the end. You actually just walked through a stream of sparks as we all got our <laughs> welding guns out. I bet you people have done that, surely. Because if I've learned anything from the process of planning a wedding, and interestingly, it does give you a different perspective on going to other people's weddings, mm. that like so many people's weddings are curated on Pinterest. And someone will see a picture and go, oh, that looks cool. We should do that. And like, the, I can guarantee you that somebody has organised that. Like every conceivable format of wedding has been done. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, it's almost like, you know, rule 34, but for weddings. If someone's like drawn it or imagined it, someone's had a wedding like that. Yeah. But I mean, the, ours was uh, certainly, it's uh, sorry, I say ours as if we were the ones that got married. Um <laughs> My wife and I, Pixel Girl, Pixel Wife uh, and I's wedding was certainly unique to us. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that was having Dan and having other people from the chapel choir present, which, as far as we could tell, was a day that everybody in the chapel choir enjoyed. Oh, it was probably one of the best days of my life so far. Mm. That's no gross exaggeration. It was just completely brilliant. I thought the ceremony was gorgeous. Um, I thought... Rev Hannah did such a wonderful job. The choir sounded great. The reception and the food and the dancing and it yeah, it was like something out of a, a sort of a film. It was and, and interestingly, you were sort of a bellwether for a lot of the events of the day mm. uh, because as as the day went on and people got hotter and had had a few beverages, you know, items of clothing were lost, sweat started to form. Yeah. By the time that you said goodbye at the very end of the party, it was as if I was being hugged by a small otter. Yes, thank you. That, that just 
come through a river. Yeah. <laughs> it was just slick. Slick with water. <laughs> it was just coming up and being like, thank you for this. Slick with hot water, sponsored by Davidoff. Do we? Yeah, okay. We, we were talking about this just before. We'll, we'll come back to the wedding in just a second. We were talking about this before. <laughs> before we recorded mm. you're, you're expecting a delivery and i'm expecting a delivery i'm expecting some some pixel buds pros of the um wireless headphones but you're expecting mm-hmm. some hot water i'm expecting some hot water which is a cologne of the brand davidoff and when we were talking about colognes and just generally how sort of silly they are and and sort of needlessly a expensive and b sort of titled in the most ridiculous ways simon Mm. came across the extraordinary website fragrantica freejulianassage.com hashtag freejulianassage yes which is it's a perfume encyclopedia it has to date seventy four thousand three hundred and fifty four registered perfumes one million three hundred and seven thousand four hundred and thirty four reviews and online right now on this uh, on this encyclopedia, there are three thousand two hundred and sixty six people. It's extraordinary, which is just bonkers, and it gives you needless information that nobody needs to know. So, for instance, hot water, Davidoff for men, says that it has top notes of wormwood and basil, middle notes of paprika and patchouli, and base notes of benzoin and styrax. Whereas for those keeping score at home, my preferred perfume, Terre de Elm, or Terre de Hermes, I guess. Trinity Terre de Elm, is that? <laughs> uh, uh, it's, uh, it's apparently has the main accords of citrus. It's woody, fresh, spicy. Not two things that I would have put together. Fresh and spicy, I think, are almost antonyms. Mm. Aromatic, earthy, and warm spicy. And it, 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 it breaks it down what into top notes, middle notes, base notes. There's a section of people who have taken pictures of their bottles of the perfume on holiday. Little lots of reviews. I just I, I wish I cared about anything as much as these people care about perfume, Dan. Bonkers. I mean, a, a slightly useful thing. I'm just scrolling down the page now, um, and it talks about longevity. Oh, okay, right. Which is useful yes. because it's nothing more annoying than spending some money on a really nice cologne and then realizing that actually it doesn't really last. Um, whereas this is a this gets a, a, a moderate rating of two hundred and eighty nine votes, so it's clearly sort of fairly good value. Jesus, I've only just noticed by the way the reviews on these perfumes, like I. You know how, like, when you go on websites like this, you expect the the user-generated content to be, like, one thing every couple of months or every couple of years? These are coming in every couple of days, these these reviews. And there's a review here from Kaju23. Bear in mind, this is on the perf- a perfume, a perfume that I use, which opens, mm-hmm. quote, Would you f*** me? I'd f*** me. I'd f*** me so hard. End quote. <laughs> Remember that scene from Silence of the Lambs? It describes the scent of Terre de Hermes perfectly. Amazing. <laughs> I bought it, I sprayed it on my wrist, I went shopping, and this quote came to my mind instantly. Extraordinary. <laughs> what the hell? What is this website? What, who are you people? If you are a perfume fan, let us know what, why <laughs> in an email, please. But anyway, anyway, we're, we're, getting, we're getting unbelievably for this podcast sidetracked. We we, we wanted to, to talk a bit about sort of the wedding and what we've been up to really for the past two months. And obviously, the wedding's been quite a big part of that for me at least, and a big event mm-hmm. for Dan. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so 
to, to go to, to absolute basics, um, Pixel Girl and I, we met in the same choir that we met Dan in um, at the University of Exeter. And so we uh, sang together in the Mary Harris Memorial Chapel on the university campus. And that was where we were married. And we were married by Reverend Hannah, who was the priest who was at the end of, of our tenure. I knew a couple of priests who were there and they've you know, she was the one that we ended up with and we're very happy that Hannah came to stay at Exeter because she's I, I think you'd agree with me, Dan, absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. She's a, a wonderful person and a very good priest. And we were so happy that she was able to officiate the wedding um and have her around all day. Um because she's one of those people that's just is just happy to have have around, you know. Mm. And to carry on that theme, we wanted the music to be a big part of the wedding and of the day as a whole, actually. And Dan, you were the person who was, well, not solely responsible. You were the person who was singing all of it. Yeah. Um, you were one of the people. So, so what, what was the music like from, from your perspective? I thought it was wonderful. It was a really good mix of sort of dearly loved chapel favourites. We featured Wesley's... Blessed Be the God and Father. Blessed Be the God and Father, which is an Exeter institution in its own right. Yep. Um, Samuel Sebastian Wesley was one-time organist of Exeter Cathedral. In fact, and is buried... In Exeter, I have sung his hymn tune, Hereford, um, while standing at his grave at midnight, which makes it sound like a little bit of a culty thing to do. It bit. wasn't. I think we were all just a bit drunk. <laughs> but uh, it was very it was very moving. Um, and then we also had some amazing music by the man, the myth, the the bumbling legend, Hugo Wickman. Yeah, put that on his tombstone. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, we did. Hugo Wickman arranged for our first dance, You're My Best Friend by Queen which was something that, I mean, there were, a few, there were a few reasons we wanted to do it. We wanted to give Hugo a commission and give him a chance to flex his his arranging muscles. But, but we wanted the chapel choir to be part of that moment when we do the first dance and not to have it be a live band and not to have it just be a recording, mm-hmm. but to have it be our friends and singing something written by one of our friends. And I think... It went. I mean, I'll be completely honest. So in the rehearsal in the morning, it sounded phenomenal. And, you know, people were really, really on it. It was all crisp. By the time we got to the first dance, obviously the choir had had the meal and we there was quite a lot of free booze that was going around. And it, it was it was it was a little it was fuzzy. It was the same picture, mm-hmm. but just just put a bit of a Gaussian blur on it, you know, um, a little. <laughs> it was it was there and it worked. Yes. But having heard it earlier, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a little bit different. <laughs> but it was um fantastic fun, mm. and it's funny actually. So I was saying about the recording because for a lot of people who came to the service, that was the first time that they'd heard this kind of music sung possibly ever, certainly for a lot of people, live. Mm. And we had a few people, including one of Pixel Girl, a Pixel Wife, I'm going to have to get used to that, Pixel Wife's uncles who came up and said, that's the first time I've ever been around, you know, a really top-notch choir. And it, mm. it is so different. It re- and, and, and it hits you in your chest and you can feel it mm. in a way that I, I feel like perhaps we sometimes take for granted because we're yeah, so absolutely. used to, to making that music. And we, when we hear a recording, we know, oh yeah, it's a recording, but it's not the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And the the sound of it in person and the sound of that room in particular was, was extraordinary. Mm. I mean, we knew the music, obviously, and we knew the choir, but somehow we did not anticipate the volume that, yes. that came out. I mean, did it did it sound loud where you were sat? Yes, it sounded extremely loud. I mean, it was it was a nice mix, really, because the, there's there's one sort of real well, there's a couple of moments in that "Blessed Be the God and Father" where mm. you just need to you know kick the ever loving 
of the piece, basically. Mm. Including Hugo apparently had a spectacular voice crack. Did you hear about this? Yes, I did hear about this. I think I actually heard it from the other <laughs> side of the choir. But we also sang Dirufle's Ubi Caritas, which is a beautiful, moving, deeply emotional... And at no point does it really get louder than mezzo forte. You know, it's, it's, mm. it's not a loud piece by any stretch. But simply having that many people singing such a committed sort of electric fizzing quiet sound is just it's amazing i think it's more exciting than loud music yes um and then similarly you know with um pixel wife walking into the beeble ave maria mm. and the and then uh, you know having timed the moment where she suddenly sort of rounds the corner and starts walking walking down the aisle in the chapel and it was just i mean you know I, i'm glad i brought my handkerchief with me because i did start tearing up and sort of you know tears rolling down my face while singing this beautiful piece of music i was in bits i was in absolute yeah. bits i mean and to be fair i was I, there's a picture of me which i showed on stream the other day uh, of me just completely welling up bef way before mm. she's actually entered the building but hearing you all singing that that piece and i do love that piece so much and I get to choose a phrase that you you just used to kicking the ever loving out of it. Like that was mm -hmm. a barnstorming performance of that piece. Yeah, it really really got me. And then and the, the the funny thing is, there's this stereotype. There's like a cliche of when husbands turn around because perhaps if people don't know it, I'm sure it says on the wiki. There's the tradition, at least in the UK, that when the you know the wedding ceremony starts and the groom is at the, the front of the chapel or wherever you're, mm -hmm. you're doing your wedding. And the bride walks down the aisle, and normally to a piece of music. Yep. And the groom is traditionally not supposed to sort of turn around, not supposed to see the bride until the moment that, you know, they're about to reach the altar. Mm -hmm. And I gave my best man, uh, like, and basically said, John, can you just tell me when she's like, when she's reached this 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 pew and i'll turn around then because otherwise mm -hmm. for one thing i didn't want to intimidate her by having her having everybody looking at her and then suddenly to have me staring her down you know yeah. she's walking down the aisle it's a bit intimidating so i told him you know like at a certain point um but there's this stereotype of when men do that that you, you see these compilations of people like clasping their hands to their mouth like they can't mm. believe what they're seeing and the funny thing is i knew that and i told myself like don't do it because, you know, everybody does that. That's what's done. Yeah, yeah. And, and also, like, don't do it because you feel you have to. I have no memory of my hand clasping to my mouth at mm. all. And yet, when mm. the pictures came back, I was like, oh, I did do it. Like, it was just that overwhelming a moment that I I, I had, like, an autonomic reflex. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, like, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that, so, you know, I was in bits before I saw her and then completely yeah completely fell apart um at that point and also i mean the two th that was one of the moments and the other moment was when you you exchanged the rings and we had a slight kerfuffle because pixel gold mixed up left and right which is fine um, which is classic like when you when you we heard you from the other end of the chapel and you sort of said now your other left we're <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like yeah this is ex this is exactly how it should be it felt very on brand yeah. yeah and then you know you do the exchanging of rings and then let god not tear apart what we you know but no one tear apart what god has brought together mm -hmm. and then how it goes you know i now pronounce you man and wife you may kiss uh, the bride and uh, you know have kissing pixel wife and then just the chapel just exploded <laughs> basically yeah and it just kept going it was like mm -hmm. What do we do? People just keep clapping. 
And that was the moment. If I could pick one moment, I think, to relive for the rest of my life, it was probably that. Yeah. It was just totally, totally overwhelming in a way that I I cannot put into words. If people haven't experienced that themselves, it's just such a profound joy at everybody who is important to you being in one place and and just beaming with happiness like everyone there was mm. so so happy um, and that was our favorite part of looking through the pictures actually was looking for all the, the crowd shots of people yeah and and looking looking at people's faces but yeah that was that was just extraordinary and oh actually before we move on from the ceremony shout out to wikicast regular a, a sort of regular mention matt can mm. who depth for us literally we he found out the pixel wife and i were getting married and he just went oh great can i sing mm. you know and we were like well yeah we you know we, unfortunately we can't offer you a place in the reception because we've run out of spaces and it was like oh that's fine i just want to sing yeah <laughs> bless him matt thank you so so much you you added a huge amount to to the day um especially those wonderful low notes in the derufle like that really that's like, personal favorite part of that piece and you really really added to it mm. and then yeah and then and then we had the rest of the day where you do the reception we went to the stately home which was Rockbeer manor which was beautiful mm. yeah so yeah what did you think of the reception venue i thought it was really lovely i mean we were blessed with extraordinary weather <laughs> some would say a bit too blessed <laughs> yeah it was so hot it was so hot but i thought it was just stunning completely stunning well, we, we didn't decorate it much because we sort of thought that the, the venue stood on its own, really, that we wanted mm -hmm. to have a little touches of us here and there. But, you know, basically, yeah, there's this wonderful manor and, and the gardens, although that was quite striking, was that this was quite soon after, I think it was the week after the UK had its big heat wave when it was like 38 mm -hmm. degrees. And, uh, yeah, the grass was just was just scorched and yellow and, and, and dry. And it was like, I wonder if there's going to be a certain sense of me in 50 years' time looking back at these pictures going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Like, yeah. it, it weirdly felt on brand for me that my uh, my wedding was scorched, but you know there you go. And then uh, yeah, we we had we had a meal and we had we had uh, speeches and everything like that, which I feel like I got off compared to other weddings I've been to. I got off very lightly in my best man speech. Yes, and um, I didn't actually say to you on the day actually speaking of speech. I thought you spoke incredibly well. Hmm. I really, really, really enjoyed your speech. I thought it was it was absolutely on the money. Really, really classy and and deeply moving. Oh, thank you. Like I, I did, I, I finished it the night before, and I but I've been sort of thinking about it for a while. And there were a few bits of it that were probably a bit overthought. There are a few jokes that I think were a little bit too perhaps went over people's heads. Pixel Girl, for example, did not at all recognise the Shakespeare I was quoting. She just looked confused at that point. But yes, no, I was very, I was very happy with how that came out, actually. And I think Pixel Girl, she's not, even though she's a teacher, mm. uh, she's not the most confident at public speaking, but I thought she did fantastically well. Mm, absolutely. No, she did. And John, my best man. John is not very confident in front of crowds at all, but he was so assured, and compared to his wedding as well, he was so much more confident and mm. just, just lovely. Yeah, I mean, overall, the whole day was just fantastic. As you say, it was one of the best. It was the best day of my life for me. Obviously, I had a bit more skin in the game. Mm. And um, <laughs> and just seeing everybody being so happy and, and seeing choir people just... just it was a, In a way, it was sort of an excuse for a choir reunion. Let's be real. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of people that just wanted to see each other again. And we thought, yeah, this is a good excuse. That was wonderful. And of course, it would be... I'd be remiss to not mention the person who, according to... <laughs> According to the photographer, was the real star of the day, which was Ed Dunn. Mm. Which, could you describe uh, how, how many pictures Ed Dunn wheedled his way into over the course of that wedding? I mean, up? most. Literally the, most. The, the vast majority of them. 
And it was such a, it was brilliant because, so if, I mean, I'm sure those who are listening to the podcast would have seen some of these photos online somewhere, be Mm. it on Simon's stream or Instagram or some other such place. Ed had decided to wear full, well, I suppose technically not full Highland dress because... It's Celtic, isn't it? It's it's Irish. He's wearing an Irish, rather was meant to be wearing an Irish kilt because he has some Irish um, sort of... Mm. Or something. <laughs> or something like that. So he, claims. He, he, um, he had managed to bring everything that he needed for this outfit, including purchasing a very nice sort of bottle green dress jacket to go with to go with the kilt, and he had the right flashes of tartan on his socks to match the kit. And it was extraordinary, and it was a very good outfit. However, he realised the night before the wedding that the one item of clothes, he had everything else, but was missing one slightly crucial garment, which was the f***ing kilt. (laughs) (laughs) He'd left the kilt in Guildford. He'd brought everything else except the kilt. So he then had to get up the morning of the wedding, race into town and try and find a kilt. And fortunately he did. And and as it happens, the kilt that he ended up wearing was so much nicer than his one. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, so he managed to find one. The other thing to mention is what was his the three piece, the upper half of his three piece made of? Oh god. I believe it was wool, Dan. <laughs> yes. On a thirty-three degree day. I mean he was he was a very sweaty, sweaty person. He was so warm. I I don't know how he survived the day, in all honesty. So, so yes, but but Ed, Ed, according to the photographer, was the star of the day, and and a lot of people came up to me after and was like, "Who was that Freddie Mercury looking guy?" And I was like, yeah. "Ed, yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. That's Ed." Yeah. So Ed, sweetie, we love you. Somehow, when Ed gets married, it's gonna be he's gonna be even more the star of the show. Yeah. I, I shudder to think <laughs> what, what that's gonna be like. Oh, gosh, yeah, I've, I can't even imagine. But suffice to say, I got married. It's great. I'm very, very happy describing myself as a husband, mm-hmm. and I've gotten used to actually having a ring on my finger at this point. Like I feel naked if I if I take it off even for just a second. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very, very happy. We're I think I speak for us both in saying we're very happy, and we had a lovely honeymoon. Took the Eurostar through to Paris, went through uh, France, and we ended up in Barcelona. Gorgeous, and it was just just great. But but then enough about me, Dan. We've I've hogged the limelight for quite a while. What have you been up to for the past two months? What the devil have you been doing? Gosh, well, I mean, it's been a pretty busy time. Obviously, I don't really get any breaks through this LPC and Masters. So I've been doing an awful lot of that. I have had some fairly scary exams, the results of which have come back, and I'm really pleased with them, which is great. And I'm I'm rapidly approaching the end. Come the middle of October, I will be done. Wow. My thesis, my Master's thesis would have been submitted. All of my exams and outstanding assessments would have been completed. And I will find out on the, I think, the 17th of November whether I have been awarded my LPC or not, which is very exciting. Which is incredibly exciting. Yeah. I mean, this, how long has this been in the works now? So I started in January and was still at that time doing my last, my, my, my sort of law conversion finals in early February. So there was a period of time this year where I was actually studying for an LPC, a master's and a GDL at the same time and it's sort of been really it's been it's been two years back to back the law conversion sort of bled into this year Hmm. so it's been a long old slog and i'm i can't lie i'm really looking forward for it to be sort of over and start really looking at 
paralegal jobs in uh, in London and hopefully moving to London in 2023 sometime, which would be exciting, provided, okay. as I say, that I can find a job. <laughs> and that's, I mean, and when did you move to Exeter? Was it 2014? 2015. I, my... my First year started in September 2015. Wow, so eight years you would have been in Exeter for. Mm-hmm. It's a long old, long old time. And you're, uh, do you think you're ready to move on? Yes, mm. definitely. I'm going to miss it, of course, and I'll miss the people here. And it's a beautiful place. The southwest is stunning and, and Exeter itself is just great. You know, that's, that's a reason why I've been here for the amount of time that I have been. Mm. But I think I'm ready for a new place yeah. and and new, you know, new people. And, and the big city is very attractive. And I think I'm at the right, you know, I'm 25 now. And I think it's sort of a good age to move. Yeah. And and it's not like I'm, I'm moving to London immediately out, out of a sort of an undergraduate degree and I'm 20, 21 or something. Yeah, I think it's the right time uh, to go. As I say, I just need, just have the small... <laughs> issue of finding a paralegal job and then at least i'll be on a salary barely an inconvenience (laughs) yeah paralegaling for a year and then hopefully securing a training contract and then the training contract will last two years and then after that i will be a fully qualified i'll go to my ceremony and i'll be a fully qualified solicitor which is crazy good grief my boy's growing up yeah gosh so if you need any uh you need any got any legal questions I mean, obviously, I need to be quite careful when I am qualified. Uh, I can't. You, it would ta- it would count as taking advice, which is oh, something really? that you, you can't enter into lightly. Yeah, there's lots of sort of legal ramifications of doing that. So, but from a speaking from a purely academic perspective, hmm. I mean, does the does the responsibility of that scare you a little bit? This idea of you know you could potentially hold people's future depending on the kind of oh. law you end up going into. Like, it could be Absolutely, a, yeah. yeah. And that's why it's so heavily regulated and so serious and, and the reason why you do two years of a trading contract to make sure that when you get to the end of that, you're not going to make sort of silly mistakes because a silly mistake could cost the firm tens of thousands, at least. Hmm. Or potentially someone, you know, yeah. depending on what happens, it could cost someone their liberty, you know. It's, it's a huge responsibility. It, well, exactly, yeah. I think that's what one of the things that I enjoy so much you know because when regardless of what you're ha- what you're having to do whether it's some sort of advocacy stuff standing up in a court and, and and arguing a case or having a conversation with a family who's going through a, just a horrendously difficult time and and they're basically you know they, they basically come in on their on their hands and knees just sort of wanting to get a problem sorted desperately wanting to get a problem sorted and, and you're you're really you know, you're a sort of you can be a, a savior at that point if you do your job well and you'll be able you're able to work out and action the desired outcome. You know, it can completely turn people's lives around, and I th- I think that's mm. I think it's a it's an incredibly humbling um, thing. You know, well, it's something that you're, you've obviously been well trained to do up until this point, and but but ultimately, it's something you're only going to learn through a firm. I guess it's something that you only exactly. learn to navigate through doing the thing. It's like driving, you know, like you, you really start to learn to drive when you've passed your test. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and I think I'm really going to start understanding how to be a, a lawyer and solicitor when I'm working in a firm and I've, and I've started my training contract and, and I'm actually doing the sort of, I'm on the front line, if you like. Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck. It's obviously mm. it's a little way away. Let's not get too stressed about it, but it's, it's something and we should definitely do something to celebrate. So celebrate once, mm. once you actually, it's finally, the dragon has finally been slain. And also when you do move to, to London. We should definitely yeah. get something in. Absolutely. Well, before we do that, Dan, and perhaps inspired by recent events, I have to ask, what is your choral piece of the week? 
and this will be my piece of the week. Drum roll, please. Well, it's been a sort of, it's been a musical feast for me in the two months that we haven't been able to record. Not only have I been very, very busy, but um, as part, you know, certainly in the last two weeks, I was away for a week at the Eddington Festival of Music within the Liturgy, the 67th annual festival, which is an absolutely wonderful festival that if you want to sort of learn more about it, you can just literally Google Eddington Festival and go to the website and read Mm. and it's fascinating. But I basically go away to a gorgeous priory church in West Wiltshire for a week and sing four services a day and make some extraordinary music with some even more extraordinary people. And it's always a highlight of my year. And one of the pieces that featured um, that that week was a piece by Copeland called In the Beginning. I don't know that one. I love Copeland and that's a new one. It's absolutely phenomenal. It tracks the creation story, basically. And Hmm. you go through, you know, on the first day, on the second day, on the third, blah, blah, blah. Um, And it's incredibly powerful. And it features a really, really difficult soprano solo sort of throughout. Sort of of like the narrator, I suppose. It's 17 minutes long as well. It's huge. Yeah, it's an extraordinary piece of music. And I am slightly sort of, I'm still reeling from it. It's it's really, really wonderful. And um, yeah, so I, so... I didn't even have to think about my choral <laughs> piece of the week. It's it, it's uh, it's Aaron Copeland's in the beginning. I mean, I, I love Copeland so much, but I didn't. I, I have to admit, I don't think I've listened to anything choral by him. Mm, yeah, I was the same. I mean, I know Appalachian Spring. I was actually looking at the Oxford Film because when I was a student at Oxford, I signed up to the, the university. Um, so the orchestra and reg- residence, mm-hmm. and they published something that I read that they're doing Appalachian Spring, and I was like, oh love to see that but um mm. yeah that and things like obviously fanfare of the common man and um hope you know rodeo and stuff like that but yeah i've never mm-hmm. i've never even thought about him doing choral so i will have to check this out and you can too in the uh the show notes there'll be there's links to everything we've talked about in the wherever you get your podcast in the little bit that has the links mm. speaking similarly of music it would be remiss of me not to mention the wonderful experience i had at my first bbc prom Oh! Um, oh well, should we do this was... in Critics Corner? Let's let's hop over. Hop let's over. Hop over. Oh, right, right, right. Go on then, hit me with it. So I went to the Bach B minor Mass prom last Monday, um, which was my first prom ever, and mm. it was absolutely wonderful. And I am going to be keeping my eyes out for for what's coming up in future proms and definitely going to take the time to go. Hopefully, if I'm in London, it'll be easier for me to get there, of course. But it was just extraordinary that the the the, um, the the orchestra and the choir were brilliant. I absolutely adore the B minor mass. It's probably my favourite work of Bach's, even over, you know, over the passions. And we went with a really excellent group of people, a good mix of Exeter-based folk. And then we went to the pub afterwards and... <laughs> It was the Queen's Arms, which is about a sort of four minute walk from the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, and the, the, this pub suddenly seemed to become the gathering point for any sort of sacred choral musicians between the ages of, I don't know, 20 and 30. And it was it was bizarre. I, I was, I you know, was seeing people that I haven't seen in years. Mm. You know, an, an old uh, an organist friend of mine who used to be the organ scholar at Homerton Cambridge was there with some friends that I hadn't seen on that until I went on tour with them to Prague many years ago. Similarly, there was a there was a you know a, a really lovely group of Oxford-based folk that I hadn't seen in in ages. It was extraordinary. In fact, 
so extraordinary that there was a chap who came and said hello to me at the Eddington Festival and was talking back to the pandemic and how much he had enjoyed the virtual compliments that the extra cathedral choral scholars were doing ah. and then similarly the southwest scholars evensong project i walked into this pub and was standing in the queue to the bar and suddenly turned to my right and there he was huh. <laughs> so i sort of tapped him on the shoulder and said you know oh, hello again nice to see you having last seen him at the eddington festival we'd never met before hmm. it was wonderful it was absolutely fantastic and i can't wait to to go back and experience problems again really just to give people a bit more context because i i love the piece but i think you'll be able to answer this more more fully than i ever could why is the b minor mass so great like because it's one of these pieces that people may have heard of but why is it just adored so much so as you've probably guessed it's bach's mass in b minor so the text and the, the foundation for the work is the sort of setting of the mass. It's the mass text. So you'll start with the Kyrie, moving into the Gloria, and then a Credo, mm. and Sanctus, Benedictus, Arnius. So I think, certainly for me, I find it, I find that a really wonderful touchstone and access point for the work because I'm so familiar with the mass itself, you know, especially doing so much singing at Buckfast Abbey now, you know, that there's always chanted sections of the mass in conjunction with some polyphonic setting. But it's just an extraordinary work. I mean, the scale of the of the thing is I mean, it's just it's it, the mind boggles, and it's such. A, there's so much variety in in the piece. There's there's some of the most extraordinary, for, certainly for the, that time in in Western music, the most the loudest, broadest use of of orchestra are going right the way down to really sort of quiet, beautiful moments. Mm. And even within one movement, like in the Et Incarnatus Est, going from one straight into the other, going from incredible quiet to massive orchestra, massive choir, mm-hmm. and beautiful solos and beautiful choral pieces you know choir sections to it oh, i'm gonna to have to listen to it again now dan there's a wonderful um quote here by alberto basso who is a, an italian musicologist mm. and he says the mass in b minor is the consecration of a whole life started in 1733 for diplomatic reasons it was finished in the very last years of bach's life when he had already gone blind this monumental work is a synthesis of every stylistic and technical contribution the cantor of Le- uh, Leipzig made to music, but it is also the most astounding spiritual encounter between the worlds of Catholic glorification and the Lutheran cult of the cross. Scholars have suggested that the Mass in B minor belongs in the same category as the art of fugue, as a summation of Bach's deep lifelong involvement with the musical tradition, in this case with choral settings and theology. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely amazing, and you know, I I love just to sit down and listen to it, but to hear it live, played you know phenomenally well, was yeah was a real um, a real joy. And I think it's actually interesting that that, that the, the, you raised the point there about sort of the combination of Lutheranism and Catholicism because I'm reading a book mm-hmm. at the moment that I could highly recommend to people called Dominion. Have you uh, by by Tom Holland? Have you heard about this? I think I might have, actually. It's quite famous. I was given it as a present. I think mm. I was given it last year, actually, and I've only just got around to reading it. But it's really, really interesting. The thesis of the book is basically that Christianity is what defined a large section of what we think of makes the West the West. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, even if you disagree with that um, hypothesis, and I think there are reasons to disagree with it, 
the as an expansive history of Christianity and actually finally answering questions that I've had for a while that I've had vague Wikipedia binges on, like what is Calvinism and where did you know who was Origen and and why was the Council of Nicaea called and things like that. Like it, it's a fantastically interesting history of that de- the development of Christianity and how it has influenced thought in the West. It's a big old book. I will say that. It's like 500 pages. I'm on about page 200 and we're at Charlemagne, uh, or Charlemagne, mm-hmm. however you pronounce it, at the moment. So there's a lot in it. But um, if you find that that concept interesting, just as a lead-on from what Dan mentioned, very, very highly recommend. But a very, very good book. Are you reading anything at the moment? I am, actually. I'm. Uh, so I, I've recently finished reading Kazuo Ishiguro's The Buried Giant, mm-hmm. which was great. Really enjoyed that. And if you haven't read it, I really really recommend it i'm now reading a brave new world by aldous huxley oh possibly one of my favorite books i i I really love brave new world i absolutely i adore it's it's so captivating and i'm really looking forward to reading his doors to perception next Hmm. right his writings on the experience of taking mescaline because i have watched recently the really really fascinating netflix documentary how to change your mind talking about psychedelics hmm. and how finally we're moving back into a, a period where the stigma around psychedelics is being removed and, and actually their clinical application is being truly realised and appreciated and the reasons that psychedelic testing was shut down because of the sort of war on drugs and really it, you know, it, it's all some massive sort of conspiracy really because there was nothing that proved that these psychedelics were anywhere near as dangerous as the other sort of you know class hmm. C drugs uh, and it was really a worry about how it was going to affect petitioning and the decision to go to war in vietnam ah it's really interesting if you haven't i mean it's based on a book and then the book has been turned into a into a series and each episode in this documentary series focuses on a different psychedelic hmm. and it's completely fascinating so i was reading that and then they spoke in that when they were talking then when they did the episode on mescaline talking about huxley's book and i and that sort of inspired me to start looking up his stuff because I haven't re- I haven't really read any of his work before and I've started with Brave New World and it's just great it's so good I mean I read it when I was about 10 which in retrospect was far far too young <laughs> Mm-hmm. for uh, most of the things that happened in that book yeah but it was a very influential book to me in terms of teaching me just because something is logical doesn't mean that it's morally right yes which as a kid who was very very much into science is a lesson that i think sometimes is lacking mm-hmm. and it was yeah really really influential on me insert jurassic park quote here <laughs> yeah fergus you know what to do <laughs> Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> Actually, and you mentioned sort of watching something on Netflix. Have you watched the new uh, The Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings Amazon show? Not yet, and I'm I, I'm going to watch it today. Oh, okay. I haven't either. I'm I'm very 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 excited. I'm, I'm excited, but a little nervous. I've I've seen because obviously the, the the whole the. The, the conversation online about this show has been so completely overtaken by racists and bigots and people who are just not engaging in good faith discussion. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest. There's so much of that going around online when talking about this show that it has been difficult to gauge quite what people are thinking and actually how good the show is. I've seen a clip that makes me of Gladriel fighting a troll that makes me feel a little nervous, but I'm, I'm excited to give it a go and I, I, do, I do plan on watching it um but before finishing critics corner i don't believe i mentioned this 
previously. I think it's been in the time since we last recorded. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to go on the record as saying, in Critics Corner, if you haven't watched Arcane, just do it. I, I can't even remember when I actually finished this series. It's been a few months, and I have been yeah. unable to stop thinking about it. It's oh, wow. it's it's just extraordinary on every from the voice acting, the animation, the art style, the story. It's people watch it. P- please do yourself a favor and watch it. It's like nine episodes on Netflix. You will not regret it. Yeah, I really really need to watch that. Actually, speaking of another thing that I have watched that I really really enjoyed, my my partner and I watched The Northman the other night. Oh, yeah, Viking Gladiator. Yeah, really cool. The original inspiration story for Hamlet. Yes, makes sense. Yeah, and it was great. It's absolutely brilliant. Did you see that in the in the theatre, or did you watch it at home? Watched it at home. Because I've um, uh, it's been so long since I've been to to a movie theatre and watched something, and it is an experience that I'm really getting an itch for now. So I don't know. I feel I feel like when we lived together, we I watched way more films, and we watched a lot of films together. And I'm not sure if that's just yeah. because we had more time, or. Mm if it's because there were more things out in the cinema that we were interested yeah. in. And certainly recently it has felt like it's been kind of slim pickings. Yes, no, I'd agree. I can't remember the last time I actually went to the cinema to see anything. It's either been a case of watching originals mm. that I can get through any other any of the streaming services or waiting until they become available to rent and then, you know, renting them for about four quid Yeah, and watching them at home. But I do miss the cinema, you know. We should make an effort, Dan. We should. Between now and the next episode, we should we should try and go to see a film in a cinema and report back on these strange, empty buildings that are full of disease mm-hmm. and, and people on their phones. Top lad! And it's that regular time again where we've taken a hop, a skip and a jump into Patreon Corner, a corner where we can say an enormous thank you to those who support us on Patreon and without that very same support this podcast couldn't exist we wouldn't be able to pay for our hosting we wouldn't be able to pay for our glorious editor and the sort of pot of resources that Simon and I are going to use very soon to do some content yeah now we finally actually have time and a venue to do it so we, we tell you yes. what after we record today Dan we'll get a, time, a date in the calendar for that 100% yeah so just an enormous thank you so much and a particular thank you to those who support us on Top Dog or Top Cat tier I would like to start by saying an enormous thank you to those of the top dog category. Why are you talking like William Shatner? I am trying something new. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to say an enormous thank you to Jay Wright. Sorry, I'm just like a 50s sci-fi robot. Peter Reed. Uh, Codzo, Colin J. Brown, Alistair Fortune, Eve Sharples, Lexi at Front Desk, Hasse Hansen, Henry VII, King of England and of France, Lord of Ireland, Aaron Jorgensen, Naf Larocque, Sam Harvey, Andrian with an N, Chan, Ben Caples, Martin Narciso, Christian from the Alps, Amy Bonney, uh, Lexi at Front Desk's boss, and Carl Waldroth. Thank you so much. I, however, would like to thank those supporting at the top cat level. And that is another thing, which is so much has happened since the last episode. But um, I have my own top cat now, Susie. Susanna in the highest. Very good. And we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about us literally sometimes when I'm trying to get her attention. I'll be like, Susie, Susanna, <laughs> Susanna in the highest. 
<laughs> Susanna in excelsis, in excelsis. Susanna, 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 Susanna. It's also dangerously coming close to Susan Williams. Yeah, um, I was just thinking that. <laughs> Susan Williams. Susan Williams. Even Pixel Girls find that one funny now. There's so many yeah, little weird references fun. that she's picked up on from Hat Films and the Yolks. And weirdly, the Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Like, no context whatsoever. She just finds the sound bite funny. But anyway, um, so we'll talk about Susie next episode, I'm sure. But I would like to thank those supporting at the top cat level who are keeping Susie supplied with dreamies. And those people being Anna Reifer, Lewis Hobden, Jean-Claude Marais, Nathan Flaherty, Abu El Ella, the physics boy, Simon P, Jack Easton, Izzy CC, Nafi Iftikhar, Christopher Betterton, Dame Valerie the Third, Layla Medina, Will Janice Humphreys, Rents Kirk, Oliver Burkhart, Omar Miranda, Colm Mansfield, Princess Andromeda, Isabel Astral. Matt McGuire and the one the only Dan Hanvey thank you so much for your support we'll try and make more podcast episodes a bit more regularly now top lot right do we have any email oh Jesus Christ oh no there's so many emails Dan oh no oh no whoever's signing us up to video doorbell installation stop it not funny (laughs) One eternity later. So we're going to kick off our correspondence with an email from Jacob. And his email is titled German Tongue Twisters, which is, I mean, that's, I mean, this just fills I'm me scared. with dread. I'm scared. Daniel, hold me. Yeah. Abs- abs- absolute dread. White knuckle fear. <laughs> Jacob says, Dear Dan and Simon, uh, when you read out my email in the latest episode, I realised that I didn't write what I wanted to say. I meant that while Dan's German pronunciation may not be perfect, he does put in more effort into getting it right than most English speakers. Well, that's kind. There you go. <laughs> anyway, you seem to be having fun with languages in previous episodes, so here are some German tongue twisters. Simon, I'm going to hand over to you. Oh, thanks. Um, to, uh, to, to give some of these... Well, tell you what, I'll do. Okay. Why don't Why don't you go first and I'll go second? Because that, that's the longest one, so it's only fair that I do the one that has more work. Okay, fine. So we've got one here, the translation of which is "small check matchbox," and the German sounds a little something like this. <laughs> it goes a little something like this. Shit. Check chiches. Streichholzgachtelken. Perfect. Terrible. Absolutely dreadful. Meanwhile, I'm going to be giving a go to Red Cabbage Remains Red Cabbage and Wedding Dress Remains Wedding Dress. Very practical people, the Germans, aren't they? (laughs) Like, yes, I'm not going to disagree with that. Blaukraut bleibt Blaukraut und Blaukleid bleibt Blaukleid. Brilliant. (laughs) I think that was about right. (laughs) That was glorious. Blau... Blaukraut bleibt Blaukraut und Blaukraut und Braukleid bleibt Braukleid. Wow, amazing. The last one we've got here. Um, the cat steps on the staircase in a way that breaks it. <laughs> it's it's snowing on Mount Fuji. Uh, <laughs> die Katze tritt die Treppe krumm. Die Katze tritt die Treppe krumm. Or something. Why did I sounded yeah. more that was, Swedish? Than that it? was like Welsh, <laughs> Welsh German. <laughs> Very good. Well, thank you for those, Jacob. I like are these things that people say. I suppose we don't say tongue twisters in in English. You know, it's not a thing that features in language quite frequently. Oh, here there is actually a note uh, in in follow up uh, in regards to Blaukraut 
Sorry. Again, it's so hard for an English person to not sometimes say something in German and do it in a very camp accent. Because that mm. one time on Kiwai that Stephen Fry introduced a mobile phone as a handy. Mm. Oh, why is my handy? My handy is kaputt. It occurred to me that Blaukraut being translated as red cabbage might be confusing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. It's it's so ingrained in my brain at this point. Sorry. Because um, what, is, what does this say? A blau is German for blue, so it should be blue cabbage. On the other hand, red would be rot in German, and blaukraut is also called rotkohl or rotkraut in German-speaking countries. Apparently, this is because red cabbage changes colour depending on the pH value of the soil. There's more information about the chemistry of this on the Wikipedia. Oh, so they're like, um, is it hydrangeas that do that? Mm. They can be blue or they can be pink, depending on the, the acidity. Violet the sky. They can be. <laughs> they can be purple. purple they can be purple. You like. Yeah. I never actually knew the lyrics of that song until it became such a thing on TikTok. Like, one of those songs that I just accepted. Ah, who knows? Probably aren't even any lyrics. They probably just mix it up every single time. A bit like the middle bit of um, Fairy Tale of New York. Where it's like, mm-hmm. you're a bum, you're a punk, you're an awesome. in that bed. Like, yeah. Apparently, there are lyrics. Who, you know, not not meant for human tongues. <laughs> and also, apparently, messed up the translation of the third tongue twister. So it's not to do with the cat sitting on the, the breaking the stairs. It's the word "krum" translate to bent and not broken. So a more accurate mm. translation would be the cat steps on the staircase in a way that bends it. I study German and English at university, so getting this right is important to me. Best regards, Jacob. Thank you, Jacob. For thank you, Jacob, for, for that experience <laughs> of German tongue twisters. I will be practicing day and night to get those right. We have an email here from, and we do really encourage people, please do email in. This is our favourite part of the show is hearing from you because you're much better at this than we are. We have an email here from Alex. Dear podcast host Dan and Simon. Apparently I'm just like an also ran. Yeah. I'm Alex again. In your latest episode, you asked us to send you anything, literally anything. So here you have it. We did. And we, we are accepting literally anything in our inbox. If you've never emailed into a podcast before, this is a call to you. Email in whatever you like. Okay, that's all. Keep up the great non-tent. Alex, 0.226, Queen Elizabeth II. Brilliant. Top stuff, Alex. Postscript, did you think that was all? Here's the rest of the email. Here we go. <laughs> Over a year ago, I first wrote to you. In that extremely long email, I said many things, one of them being that I was going on Erasmus to Groningen in the Netherlands for the current academic year. And I've been to Groningen. It's very, very cool. Now, my time here is coming to an end. So in true Wikicast fashion, here's my review of the Netherlands. Excellent. Netherlands, a review. Geography. It's extremely flat, not even the smallest hill. Did you know that the tallest hill in the Netherlands is in an island in the Caribbean? I did not know that. It's one of their overseas dependencies, a- aka remaining colonies. And uh, yeah, it's, it's taller than anything in, in the huge country of the Netherlands. So, fun fact. I'm surprised flat earth is not a big thing here. Last week I went to the highest point in the whole country apparently not true, which technically only belongs one third to the Netherlands and is shared with Germany and Belgium. And I was very surprised to see a couple of small hills. For reference, this point is 323 metres tall. And the longest line of Spanish omelettes ever measured 223 metres. I've got a perfect sense of how big this hill is now. Thank you, Alex. Mm -hmm. However, I must say it does make it the perfect place for bikes. And I love that. Agreed. Love biking in the Netherlands. Language. I'm afraid I didn't even try. (laughs) Yep, sounds about right. I mean, you're a man after our heart, Alex. Uh, absolutely, everyone here speaks English, and I'm so grateful for it. About Dutch, there's where too many. I'm going to read what looks like 
is written, About Dutch, there's way too many sounds everywhere. It cannot be healthy for your throat. I mean, I read that as as Wookiee. Shaiish? Is that the name of the Wookiee language? A nice anecdote here connecting you to your previous episodes. I went to watch Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I highly recommend, and Simon wants to watch, but don't watch it in original version with Dutch subtitles if you don't know Dutch, as half the movie is in Chinese and you won't be able to understand it. Right. Strong. Okay. Lesson learned. Good. <laughs> Uh, food. Street waffles are great. I love them. However, apart from that and cheese, everything else I found was fried. Fried egg balls. Fried egg balls? Fried dough? Fried egg balls? Fried cheese? What the, f- what the hell is a fried egg ball? I mean, obviously I know what it is, but... I, didn't, I haven't come across fried egg balls in Denadalance. Fried egg balls? It's also the password of one UK politician. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, are they, um, they're Scotch eggs. Oh, uh, right. I think. I see. Dutch Scotch eggs. Dutch eggs. Dutch eggs. <laughs> Amazing. There's a theory about Europe I read once, which is that I have found to be very, which I have found to be very true. Europe is divided in two: the South, tomato Europe, and the North, potato Europe. Netherlands is very much part of potato Europe. In contrast, Spain is part of tomato Europe and has also created the best distinguished potatoes, Spanish omelette. If you ever go to mm. Spain, please do try it. I, I must say, Spanish omelette is great. Patatas bravas, also very good. It's so good. Yeah, I love Spanish. Um, what, what is your favourite way of consuming potatoes, Dan? Potatoes. Mm. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Mm. You've got a rich oh, stable gosh. to choose from. Uh, I mean, there is nothing to me more satisfying than mashed potato and gravy. Mm. I, I love mash. Comfort food. I, I'm going to be somewhat heathen here. I'm going to say my favourite way of consuming potato is in a chip butty. Is is orally. <laughs> yeah, you freak. Thank God. Yes, a chip butty, I think, is my favoured thing, which for those of you who perhaps are not from the UK, is a is a sandwich made out of potato fries. But they have to be... Mm-hmm. The, the Vlogbrothers did this and they completely f***ed up. Like, they used French fries. No, 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 no. Mm. It's got to be, like, chippy, fish and chip shop fries that are, like... Yeah, soggy. A, centi- so- a little bit soggy, a centimetre or so in width and height. And I personally like butter or, you know, spread and ketchup. And, oh, mm-hmm. that in a sandwich. Oh, it's amazing. Carb on carb. Give me those carbs. Mm. Uh, just to, to briefly bring the review of the Netherlands, which is obviously now canon and authoritative uh, from Alex to a conclusion. Weather, much better than I expected. I was prepared for rain almost every day, but was surprised by the number of sunny days we got. Ducks. I was pleased to find a lot of ducks in the lake next to my accommodation. I like ducks. Excellent. Conclusion, overall, I love my stay here in the Netherlands and would love to come back here anytime. It's been a great place to live in for the past year. Highly recommended, especially if you have bikes or like ducks. So that's all. Thanks for getting to the end of my once again too long email. Keep up the great work, Alex. Well, thank you, Alex. If, tell you what, thank can, you so I, much, Alex. I really like that as a format. Can people, if you have studied in another country, or if you are studying in another country, which could be, especially actually, if you're in the UK and you're coming, you're studying from abroad, Give us a review of the country. Mm-hmm. This could go very, very wrong, but... <laughs> could. But I think that's all, that gives us more cause to do it, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> Alex will be pleased to know that this, this uh, email has been finally read out because it was sent to us on July 6th and it's now the 5th of September. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we did call for emails in our last episode and people have several people, um, there's still more emails to read out, several people have dutifully mm-hmm. responded but obviously did so after that e- message and sorry guys, it is my fault. I got married, I went on honeymoon, I bought a house. Past two months have just been... I, I went tough. on honeymoon. Yeah. 
I was, I was away for like I two weeks. I went on honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, couldn't do it. I went on honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a classic problem. Got a meeting. Ah, sorry, guys, I'm on honeymoon. <laughs> it was great. It was as if I'd fallen off the face of the earth. If I'd said yeah. to people, like, they were like, oh, um, just to chase up on this, and they got my out of hours, you could tell in the mm. response to it, be like, don't worry, take as much time as you need, sweetheart. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. good for you. <laughs> so, Daniel, what have we learned today? Today, Simon, we learnt about wedding. A wedding, specifically. A wedding, specifically. Not only the general concept, but also discussion of your very own wedding. And it was wonderful. And it was so wonderful because you were there. As I said in my speech, having everybody there was very, very important to us. And uh, you were absolutely part of that. So thank you for being there, Dan. And well, thank you. It was wonderful. It was, as I say, one of the best days of my life to date it was wonderful and appearing on that riverbank having swum through yeah <laughs> slick like something out of wind in the willows <laughs> <laughs> oh here comes maury swimming up <laughs> <laughs> with his with his little hamper of of sort of picnic goods that are obviously completely wet through yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've made sandwiches yeah they're soggy it's it's Sort of res- resembles sort of papier-mâché now, as opposed to a sandwich. Pulls out a pocket watch. Oh, oh! would you look at the time? It stopped again. <laughs> <laughs> Confound it. Why does this keep happening? <laughs> anyway, toodaloo. <laughs> Love it. That's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your podcasting service of choice. Join the Discord, and if you'd like to see our faces, check out our YouTube channel, Spongy and Electric. Country reviews, wedding stories, and other thoughts on the show can be sent to us at spongyelectric at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again for another Tumbled and the Wiki Rabbit Hole. And we'll see you next time. time.